Jake did this slide up here, defeating giants, and I'm like, man, that is one ugly giant. So I, I had a picture of David and Goliath, but it's like nothing compared to that. Like, yikes. But sometimes, so this is a sermon on fighting giants in our lives. Not physical giants, but, you know, the spiritual, the and I'll give you a list here in a bit, but the spiritual giant. So I, here's my humor. A Sunday school teacher was teaching the kids on David and Goliath, and she had a test for them. So see how well you do. So she, the question said on the test, and they, of course they make it easy because you don't want a Sunday school student not to do well. So the test said, who killed Goliath? Answer, blank, blank, V-I-D. So what's the answer? COVID. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what, the, so it was, it was your grandchild. I was wondering, we would like to speak to you afterwards. We're like, what are you teaching your kids? So I was... This is funny, when I saw this, I was like, now this is up-to-date humor. So who would have ever thought of COVID, you know? All right, 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. And let me give you my picture here. Now the Philistines, are the bad guys, gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoth in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon, which means, by the way, boundary of blood, between Sokoth and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites, the good guys, assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So here, picture this picture. So the Israelites are on one hill, one side of the valley, called the valley Elah or the boundary of blood. That's where they would fight. The bad guys are on this hill. The good guys are on this hill. They would come down from their camps, line up across from each other, and if they would fight, I mean, that's where the blood would flow. So that's why it was called the Valley of Blood. Verse 4. <clears throat> A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, or in plain English, he's nine foot nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, about 125 pounds. So he's like carrying a person on him. That's how I look at it. Like, okay. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him, which was like a moving wall. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? So they're lining up for battle in the valley. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This is called battle by representation. So instead of having everyone fight the battle... You just send one representative, and we'll send one representative. They fight, and they determine the outcome. 
So battle of representation. Verse 10. Now, I call this trash talk. And you have to play sports to understand trash talk. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let, him, and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed or depressed and terrified or fearful. So they are depressed and fearful when Goliath is trash-talking. So come down to verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So let's talk about giants for a moment that we are facing. So here's, this is nothing compared to that picture Jake had. Okay. So here's examples of giants that we face through our life. And they're giants because when we face them, it is not pleasant and it is painful and it is tough. So the giant of a job issue, something at your job, whether it's your boss, a coworker, some issue, whatever, it's just this insurmountable problem, this giant that you're facing, debt, the giant of debt being, you know, in bondage, diseases, sickness. That's a horrible giant to face. Emptiness and boredom. I picked that one because that's one of the biggest giants that retired people face. Brokenness, depression, grief, addiction, bad habits, past failures. These are just some examples of giants that we will face. And giants like to trash talk. So depending on, you know, I play tennis. I don't trash, if, if there's someone that's like competitive with me, we will trash talk each other. I'm like, that's the best you can shoot. You, man, you may as well go home. You're, you're a loser. I'm going to beat you, you know. But giants will trash talk you, whatever it is. You're not qualified for that job. You, you can't do the job. You're a loser. You're going to be unemployed, whatever. You can't pay your bills. You're in debt. You're never going to escape me. You're always going to owe more money than you ever make. You're a loser. You're not going anywhere. You can't stop sitting. You can't stop looking at that wrong thing with those magazines or on the computer. Um, whoops. Um, you can't shake your past failures. You don't have a bright future. All I can tell you is these giants trash talk you that are sent to you from the enemy. So some thoughts on giants we are, that we will face. Number one, you are going to face giants. And believe it or not, I think you begin to face them as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult and as an older adult. You are going to face giants that Satan is going to send your way. And often you're going to struggle at times day and night. You notice there in verse 16, 40 days and nights, Goliath keeps coming. And it just, believe me, when you, you know you have this giant because it's just over and over again. Day after day, you don't get a break. The giants taunt you. They, you know... And then you may experience depression and fear. When Goliath came forward, the giant, the Israelites got depressed and got discouraged and got down and got full of anxiety and fear. So let's read 
how to deal with giants. So verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Jesse is his dad, take this FF of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. So he was a shepherd, but he found someone to be a substitute. He loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He's being sent by his dad. This is not by his own will. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So, how to fight giants in your life? Step number one is you must have the anointing. You must have the anointing. I, the last month I've been preaching about this and I encourage and praise the Lord, almost all of you came forward to receive a fresh infilling of the anointing. In the Old Testament, it was the kings that got anointed with oil and it was the priests that got anointed with oil. In the New Testament, the Bible says, as believers, we are all royalty. We're all kings and queens we belong to the most royal family there is, and we're all priests. And so it is appropriate for all believers to be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot fight giants if you don't have the anointing. If you don't have the anointing, then you're trying to fight that giant in your own flesh with your own wisdom, and you will be defeated. You must have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to take down. It's, it's going to be the Lord that takes down the giant that you are facing. Number two, you need to keep in mind the reward of victory. So, verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, this is like a second time, hey, what, what will be done? What, what do you get for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And we'll see in a bit that he asks for a third time. So what, what happens if I defeat this this? guy that's defying the armies of the living God, well, you get great wealth, you get the king's daughter, and no more taxes. So this is called keeping in mind the reward of victory on the other side. So let me give you some examples. You need, if you have a job issue, some kind of giant at your work, 
When Jesus defeats that giant, if you have the anointing, often on the other side, great success comes. And you need to keep that in mind, that your job, I have faced giants in in ministry, and when Jesus has taken that giant down, then I've seen the church in great success occur. Debt, when you are drowning in debt, you need to understand that on the other side of debt is financial freedom. Freedom from debt, and and you have money in the bank and able to give. You need to keep that in mind. On the other side of disease, I have faced the giant of disease a couple of times, is health and well-being. On the other side of emptiness and boredom is abundant life in Jesus. On the other side of brokenness is wholeness. On the other side of depression is joy and peace. On the other side of addiction is set free from bondage. You're just set free from drugs, bad habits, good habits, past failures. I, I know that on the other side of the giant of past failures, it's amazing how God will like use my past failures to help other people that are going through the same thing. And, and he, he uses those things for me to learn and to, and to grow and to, you know, to move forward. So, how to fight giants in your life? Number one, you have to have the anointing. You, it's gonna be through the Holy Spirit that you get victory over the giant. Number two, keep in mind the reward of victory if, when that giant goes down. Number three, realize that sometimes some of your greatest discouragement will come from other believers with little faith. So verse 28, when Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? Well, he came down there because dad sent him to check up on the brothers. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You just abandoned those sheep. No, David got a substitute. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David says, verse 29, what what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. That's when he asks again, what's the reward on the other side of this? Just so you, Eliab, you know, that's the oldest brother of David, and if you remember, when Samuel was sent to anoint who would be the future king, Elab came before him and he said, wow, here's someone who is tall, a head taller, here's someone... I mean, this, here's a warrior. Here's a future king. Who should have faced Goliath? It probably should have been Elab. If he had the anointing, he was tall. He was big. He should have gone out to fight Goliath. But like the rest, they're living in fear and, and without the anointing. So you will face when you, you know, you're going to fight the giant of debt in your life. But other Christians will discourage you and say, oh, I tried, it's no use. You, you, you can't get free, you, you just go down. They, they don't have the faith and they will discourage. They'll get angry at you they, because they have little faith and, and, and have lost 
the understanding of the anointing and the power of the Lord in your life. Number four, do not be discouraged by physical or spiritual age. Verse 32, or verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So in other words, King Saul is like, you're just a kid. He can't fight Goliath. He's been a bully since he was in school. But do not be discouraged by physical or spiritual age. The Apostle Paul says the same thing to Timothy. And you know, the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, yeah, I'm gonna, before I get to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, we believe, was 16 years old when he became an apostle. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Young people, whether you're 13 years old, 16 years old, 22 years old, young people, if you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you can do great things for God. You can be 70 and 80 and 90 years old and you can do great things for God because it is not you. It is the Spirit of God. It's, it's the Lord that takes those giants out. And do not be discouraged by your spiritual age. I've seen people that have just gotten saved. They're, they've only been a Christian four months, and they're ready to tackle giants and to, you know, do things. And the other Christians who have been Christians a long time, like, oh, you're too zealous, or, you're too young in the faith, or, or, you know, we, we've already kind of given up. But that young Christian that's on fire, that has the anointing, can do amazing things because it's not them. It's the Lord moving. Remember your past victories in Jesus, number five. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. This is called remembering your past victories in Jesus. There's no doubt the Philistine was a step. The Philistine is unlike a lion and a bear. When you're fighting a person who's got a brain and, and can think through strategy and has a lot of experience, that's a lot harder than a lion and a bear. But you see, God has been training David. David now sees, yeah, God delivered me from the bear. God delivered me from the lion. I'm, I'm ready for the next step of faith that God will deliver me from this Philistine. So you will note as you and I believe this starts when you're young. So if you're 12 years old, you will fight giants. And learn to defeat them when you're 12 and 14 years old. Learn to defeat them when you're facing them in high school. Because those are all just preparations to build your faith because you're gonna face giants when you get to college 
And when you get out of college and into your future, when you, you know, with spouses, marriage, kids, life, work, learn to get the victory in Jesus when you're young because those are the testimonies. You know, I know in my life, there's no doubt I, I face giants now, but it's like COVID was a giant. When COVID struck and everyone quit coming to church, I was like, the church is collapsing. But then I was like, wait a second. I've been here before where I thought the church was collapsing. And God always moves. So you, you look back and you can be encouraged by the testimonies of what God has done in the past. Number six, be careful of using someone else's armor. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. So be careful of trying to borrow someone else's armor or gifting or whatever. The Lord has gifted you. You have specific gifts and talents that God has given you to fight the giants. So don't borrow someone else's faith. Don't borrow someone else's spiritual armor. God gives you what you need, your own armor, your own gifting. All right, number Seven, verbalize your faith and confidence to inspire yourself, I don't know if I should say yourself or oneself, to claim ultimate victory through Jesus. So verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? that you come at me with sticks? I'm assuming that's the two sticks of the slingshot, you know? Um, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. This is his trash talk. Come here, he said, and I'm gonna give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, so this is, here's the words of faith, the words of, you know, of anointing. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. I come against you in the name of Jesus Christ, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Woo! He is, he is talking positive. I, I know people say, Pastor, are you preaching positive faith stuff? But he, look, He's admitting, this isn't from me. It is the Lord. It's in, it's in the name of the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord that is going to defeat the giants that are before you. 
So he's just expressing. I know I, I do that. I'll put on good Christian music when I got giants, and then I, you know, I get just inspired in the name of Jesus by the blood of the Lamb. I, I'm, you know, Lord, you are going to bring defeat to this giant that is before me. Completely destroy the giant. Number eight. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. How many stones did he have, by the way? Five, right? He slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He drew hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So I, I brought, you know how I have the Ark of the Covenant. Well, it's also been entrusted to me to have Goliath's sword with me. Yeah, so now picture David's just kind of a kid. And you can imagine Goliath's sword. So catch it. Off with the head, okay? So you can hold Goliath's sword for me. So when you conquer the giant, you need to cut off the head. So for instance, I know Dave Ramsey would really like me on this. You've been 10 years in financial debt. You have not been able to get out of debt. It's been bogging you down. You have not had freedom. You are up all the time worried about debt. You're having family fights. In fact, it's, it's one of the top reasons why marriages don't make it because of financial debt and problems. So it's a huge giant that many people face. But finally, in the name of Jesus Christ, and often you have to start giving to the Lord, by the way, to fight the giant. I know it seems totally... Um, not, I don't know what term I want to use. Counterintuitive, that giving to the Lord gets you out of debt. But anyway, I'll let you figure out how to fight that giant yourself. Just look at the word of God. Um, but now you get free. You're, you're free of debt. Cut off the head. Dave Ramsey would say, take your credit cards now and cut the heads off. You get free of you get free of drugs. You're going to have to cut off all the friends that you have that are still using drugs. You're going to have to cut off all the places you hung out with where you did drugs. You have to cut off the head of the giant. Your victory will inspire others onto victory. So, the end of verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout. Now they're all praising the Lord, you know, and pursue the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the Shoreham Road, whatever. Anyway, they, they wipe out the Philistines. So your victory will bring a revival and inspire the other believers to now fight the giants that they 
are now running after, that they were afraid and all. Now other believers are on the offensive. So now I want to switch gears here. So these are the instructions for fighting giants. But I want to now switch gears and introduce you to another boundary of blood battle, another battle between two enemies that is spoken of in the New Testament. This story about David and Goliath, which is probably one of the best-known stories in the Old Testament, is amazingly prophetic about the battle that takes place in the New Testament. So the boundary of blood is in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus, he too shared in their humanity, the Son of God became man. He's fully God, fully man. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So I want you to picture humanity on one hillside and all the forces of evil on the other side with Satan defying at the boundary of blood and scaring all of, all of people with, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. I have the keys of death and Hades. You're sinners and your blood will, and, and you will be lost. It's a boundary of blood. And Satan was people, we all lived in fear, in slavery. So I want you to picture that there's a battle between good and evil. On the one hillside is all of evil, the evil angels, the evil demons, and their Goliath is none other than Satan himself. And then on the good side are the saints, the good angels, and the representative is none other than Jesus Christ. It's a representative battle between two individuals, Satan and the Son of God. You'll notice that both David and Jesus both come from Bethlehem. They're both from the tribe of Judah, and they literally are both born in the same city, a couple thousand years apart. You'll notice that it, the father of David and Jesus sends their sons to the battlefield. It's Jesse that says to David, I want you to go to the battlefield and see how your brothers are doing. And it was God the father that sent Jesus. For God the father so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. David and Jesus are sent to their brothers. So David goes to his brothers. His three oldest brothers are in the battlefield. And Jesus is sent to his brothers, the Israelites. But the brothers do not receive either one of them well. When David comes to see how his brothers are doing, they're like, ah, what are you doing here? And they're envious. They're angry at him. They think he's conceited. They, you know... And when Jesus came to the Israelites, they rejected him. They were envious. They were jealous. They put him on the cross because they were envious and jealous of him. David and Jesus bring gifts from the Father. Jesse says, here, I want you to take these gifts to the brothers. 
And so too, Jesus came with gifts from the Father. He brought gifts of healing and caring for the poor and truth and resurrecting the dead and ministering to people's situations. He had all kinds of gifts from the Father to show that he came from the Father. The testing, it's interesting that the Philistine, we're told specifically, was testing the Israelites 40 days and 40 nights. And it's also interesting that after Jesus gets the anointing, remember he gets baptized and then the Spirit of God comes on him with the anointing to begin his ministry, but he undergoes testing 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by Satan. Both David and Jesus fought thinking about the rewards of the future. So David is like, wait, he asked three times, what do I get? I'm gonna get wealth, I'm gonna get a bride, and no taxes. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him endured the cross. In other words, Jesus wasn't just thinking about the hell he's gonna face for our sins. He thought ahead to the joy of bringing eternal life to people and heaven and the joy of that he's gonna resurrect, he's gonna have great wealth in heaven, the Father's gonna go, I have a bride for you. The church will be the bride of Christ. And by the way, I was sharing this, and everyone relax. You just do this when you get older. I'm not looking to retire. But every so often I'm, I'm looking like, okay, if I, if I retire, do I have enough money to live on? That's why you don't have to worry. But so I'm like, I'm playing with a budget, but there's one thing on my budget that drives me crazy, and it's my taxes on my house, okay? Can I ever get out from them? No. And in fact, I know they're always gonna go up. They're gonna get more and more. The, by the way, taxes grow in areas where more homes are being built. It seems like your taxes should go down the more homes that are being built, but it's just the exact opposite. So I'm like, oh great, I'm living in the fastest growing area in, in Pennsylvania. That means my taxes can only go that way. But I got good news for us. When we get to heaven, there's no property tax. No income tax, no gas tax, no. no there is no tax. I'm thinking there's no tax. All right. The enemy is taken out by a stone. So we know Jesus often compares himself to a stone or a rock. Upon this rock, upon me, I will build my church. Jesus even talks about that if he's a rock and if you fall on the rock in repentance, you'll be saved. But if the rock falls on you, you're going to be crushed and sent to hell. So that's like the rock. Some see the rock is referring to in Daniel, you, there's a prophetic vision of a great giant with 10 toes, which is the restored Roman Empire. And at the end of, in the, at the, end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ, it's a big rock, comes, smashes the toes, and the rock fills the earth. Jesus sets up his kingdom on the earth. Some think that the rock, 
that defeated Satan was when the rock of the tomb was moved. And Satan now realizes that Jesus has resurrected, that he was not able to keep him in death and Hades below. And so Satan celebrating until the rock of the tomb hit him right in the head, and Jesus was no longer in that tomb and had resurrected. Some say that Jesus or David picked up five stones. Do you know that in the New Testament there are five faithful sayings of the early church? There's five of them. There's not four of them, there's not seven of them, there's five. And they all start out with, here is a trustworthy and faithful saying. So it's, it's uh, these five sayings in the New Testament is sayings that the church knew, like these were five stones of truth. The first one is in 1 Timothy 1.15, where the apostle Paul writes, now here is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And I'm like, wow, there's a stone to toss at Satan. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I, and I like that part. I don't know if it's part of the saying or the Apostle Paul adds it, of whom I am the worst. But I think for every believer, you come to that point where, at least I did, like, oh, I'm the worst sinner. Christ Jesus, Satan, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, to die on the cross for me, and I am the worst sinner. And that's a stone that knocks Satan right off his feet. So the enemy, number 10, is beheaded by his own weapon. So... King David, he's not King David, yeah. David takes Goliath's own sword and beheads him with his own weapon. So turn with me. I'm going to give you a little bonus here. So 1 Samuel, and come to chapter 21. Now, this represents many, many years later on. David has become a grown-up. He's been married to Saul's daughter, all right? But we'll, we'll go over it, but I'm, I'm going to zoom ahead a little bit. So 1 Samuel 21, he's, he's on the run from his father-in-law, and David arrives at the priest's home. So in verse 8, David asks Hemelech, he's, he's the priest, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, now listen to this, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. So, like, he's put in a very sacred spot. If you want it, now listen to what the, this is the priest, the head priest. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And we believe that David from that point on takes Goliath's sword 
for himself. It's interesting that this priest would keep Goliath's sword all these years with the ephah, which is how they would discern the Lord's will. And then when David comes, he says, hey, I got Goliath's sword. And David says, there's none like it. That's the one I'm going to use. Give it to me. You see, and the weapon that Satan used against Jesus was the cross. Satan is the inventor of the cross. He loved the cross. It, it was the ultimate in torture, in pain, in pulling all the bones in your body out. The, the, bleed, the suffering, the anguish, Satan was like, this is one of the best ways to kill people. And so Satan puts Jesus on the cross thinking he is defeating Jesus, but Jesus takes that cross. Do you understand? The very weapon that Satan designed for Jesus to die on, Jesus takes that cross and uses it to take the head off of Satan. It's, it's funny, I, I noticed this morning that there's lots of people that are wearing crosses on their necklaces. It's like you, you have Goliath's sword. Oh, by the way, what does a sword look like to you? Doesn't it look like a cross? Yeah, I was like, the cross is Satan's sword. Ah, I'm gonna put you on it, Jesus. You are going to hurt. This is, this is, you are going to be done in by my weapon. But Jesus uses the cross to take the head off of Satan. There are so many verses. I only picked a couple. 1 Corinthians 1.17, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The early Christians had picked up the cross, the message of the cross. It's the cross that killed, you know, that Jesus died on. But now the Christians pick up the very weapon Satan used, and they're bringing the message of the cross that our sins as that first stone. Christ Jesus came into the world to die for our sins on the cross, but he has resurrected and paid for it, and now the cross has power to save your souls. For forgiveness, Galatians, but may I never, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Well, I had so many other verses, but I do not have time. Just, I'm like, wow, the very weapon. Jesus is like, I can't get a better weapon. The church cannot get a better weapon than the message of the cross. It is the power of the salvation for everyone who believes. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us that are being saved, the message of the cross is for our salvation. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, worship team, come. And I want to open the altar to ask you, are any of you fighting giants in your life? Are there giants that you are facing that have been tormenting you, taunting you, 
they've been causing fear and depression and anguish. You're not, and, and you're willing to come, and we're going to just pray for you, like that the Spirit of God, that you will rest in the fact that the battle is the Lord's. The victory is through the message of the cross. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is in his name. So let's stand. And are you facing a giant? That you need to come. And we're going to give those giants to the Lord for him to defeat in our lives. So you come down and we'll pray then. I've got a couple of elders. And let's, let's pray here. Father, um, we pray, Lord, for those that are come forward. But I'm sure, I don't know if we ever really get free of the giants. We, there's, I know, Lord, there was a TV show, The Land of the Giants. We live in the land of the giants, but we thank you that there's victory through Jesus Christ, through the power of what he accomplished on the cross, the power of the resurrection of the stone being rolled aside. And we pray, Lord, for those that are on their knees here, whatever their giant is, may you bring defeat in the name of Jesus to those giants in their life. We don't know what they are, but you do. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in victory. Um, help us to remember, Lord, all the times in the past that you have delivered us and that you have defeated the giants we faced. May our faith keep strong. May, may you strengthen and grow our faith. As Sometimes as we get older, I think the giants can get bigger and larger and more terrifying. Um, but, Lord, we've been walking with you, and so may you bring defeat to those giants. Anoint us with the Spirit of God. Fall upon us. Dismiss us with your blessing, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.